0: And I noticed there's more snowbirds coming. Just glad to be here. Pastor asked me to speak. Uh, Must have been about uh, two weeks ago. um, I said to him, well, that's on my birthday. (laughs) Uh, He said, it's a done deal then. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm glad to be here. Thank the Lord that uh, He's good to us. He's allowed me to live 72 years. <laughs> and I didn't think much about that. You know, when you're young, you, um, when I was in my teens, I thought 35 was old. Then I got to be 35 and I thought, well, 50 is old. But when I hit 50, well, I thought 70 was old. And then you get that age and you think, well, I still feel pretty good. And um, my mother's 91 and she'll go over things that she did when she was a young person. And she's just as alert and able to remember those things like they were yesterday. Just seems like it just happened. And so thank the Lord for his goodness and love. I have had a setback. Seven weeks ago, I had a heart attack. Unbelievable. Yeah, the ambulance came. They uh, put one of those EKG things on, you know, and I had some pain around my heart. And, and they looked at my wife and I and said, you know, you're, you're having a heart attack. So they uh, turned the siren on. It was really cool. Took me out in this gurney. Wouldn't let me do anything. They kept spraying stuff in my mouth. I found out that was nitroglycerin. And what it's supposed to do is open up your veins more. I got to the hospital and they assured me that I was having a heart attack. Those are good things to know, I guess. So they took me up to the emergency room. They did the catheterization, which is a whole experience. I don't recommend. And the thing is they just they give you enough sed- awake And you can watch what the doctor's doing in a screen. I don't recommend that either. (laughs) They put a wire up through, and uh, they came to the blockage area at the top of the heart. And the doctor got a very perplexed look, and he said, I can't shove my wire through there. So he pulled that wire out, put another one in. It was even stronger. It wouldn't go through the blockage. And he said, you didn't just start having this problem today. It's been there a long time. And he said, but what's rare about your situation is that your heart is already forming vessels going around the blockage. Praise the Lord for that. They didn't do anything else. Two days they sent me home. Now I'm still a little short on breath. And I probably won't walk around and do all the things the pastor does, (laughs) because I won't be able to do that. But uh, I have these little peels they gave me, nitroglycerin peels. And if anything happens to me, what you do, you come up and reach in my pocket, grab these little nitroglycerin peels, put it under my my tongue, and about two minutes, I'll jump right up. So don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. I love the Lord. I got my... uh, Jesus strong. Not worried a bit. God is good. We're going to look at the passages today found in uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. These passages are uh, passages that are different than the rest of 1 John. 1 John, the epistle, you know, John wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He wrote the book of Revelation. So he is probably the youngest disciple. Then he became the oldest disciple, apostle, probably outlived all the others. And he's the one that was leaning on the breast of Jesus when Peter said, ask him who's going to betray him. So they thought, you know, because he's younger, because he's close to Jesus, Jesus will tell him exactly what's going on. And in this epistle, John is really dealing with love more than anything else. He mentions love 26 times. 26 times. But in the passage today, we're going to look at things that God gave the Apostle John that are the opposite of that. And it says not to love certain things in the passage we're going to look at today. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now, I like to take directions when I'm traveling. I don't really like GPSs so much, but sometimes you just have to use them. But if someone tells you you have to go north to get to your destination, don't go south. If someone tells you the direction you should go is up, don't go down. That'll take you the wrong direction quickly. And we want to look today as children of God at the passages God's giving us the directions that we should not go as his children. We're going to take a look at those this morning. And the first pass, first part of this passage says that the child of God is not to love the world. But what does that mean exactly? World is used three different ways in the scripture. The first way that it's used is the Greek word cosmos. And it really talks about the world, the physical world that uh, God has created the sun, the moon, the stars, everything out there that there is, even light years away. Light traveling at 186,000 miles per second. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of light years away. God created all that. He's the master of the universe. It just didn't happen. Our God is a creator God. And we can be glad that He's in charge of all those things. It says He has named each star. That has to be a lot. And just to make it more personal, he counts and knows the number of hair on your head. Some of you don't have to count too much there. You're, like me, you're, you're, you're losing some of that hair. And I'm reminded of what my barber said when I asked him about that. He said, um, well, you are losing hair on top of your head, Pastor. There's no doubt about it. And I noticed that I can't cover the bald spots like I used to. You know, it just doesn't work. But he said this, It's astounding to me how fast the hair is growing out of your nose and out of your ears. (laughs) You're going to whip that up around somehow. or, Or, you know, do something to use that good hair that's growing. So the hairs of our head are numbered. That's looking at the micro details that God has brought into existence. His knowledge is universal. He knows everything that there is. So, I don't believe that God is telling us not to love the universe that He has created. I don't think He's saying, don't love that. I think He's saying we should appreciate that. Psalms 8, verses 3 and 4 says, When I consider the heavens, the work of God... When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars, which thou hast created, ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? So we want to be people that love the fact that God has created such a dynamic universe, such a wonderful world. That we, And we are not to hate those things, but we are to realize that God... If we just look up, we can't deny that there is a Creator. There is a God who has brought all this into existence. Well, the world is also used and applied to people. Mankind. John 1.10 says, The world is not knowing Christ. It's clear he's not referring to hating the world or hating people. For how could John 3.16 be true when it plainly tells us that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son? Just put your faith in Him. The Scripture admonishes us to do those things, and we know that. So it's not referring to hating mankind. But what it is referring to is the world of sin and unrighteousness. Those things that are in opposition to God. James 1.27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. In Matthew 6.24, Jesus says, No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or else he'll hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon might be another word for money. You can't put money as your predominant interest. I know we have needs, and God promises to take care of our needs, but money cannot be worshipped. I think one of the greatest things that we can do to show that we don't worship money is to tithe. To give back part of what God has given us to further His kingdom. This church is very good at that. I can tell you that much. Praise the Lord. Well, if we're not supposed to love money, and the Scripture goes on to tell us that we are not to be a friend of the world, sin is a world of darkness. But God is the light. First Colossians, or Colossians 3, 1 and 3. There is no darkness in the Lord. We cannot love God and sin the world. So, which is it gonna be? Well, just so we get it straight, John gives us a further definition of what it is that we are not to love. And he describes it in three ways in the Scripture. He shows that we are not to love the lust of the flesh. Now, lust is a word in the Scripture that three times it's used good in the Bible and all the rest of the other times it's used with an evil context A desire. A craving. A longing. And so... It means an inordinate, unlawful desire for fleshly indulgences. James 1, 13 and 15 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Now let's get it straight. Thoughts can come into your mind, and it's kind of like a testing area. Things come into your thoughts that you know are wrong, and you can act upon those, and you can say, Well, if I get a chance, I'm going to do that. Or you can reject those things immediately. And I would have to say, when you do that, you pass the test. So, as we look at these passages, Galatians, and um, passages that deal with fleshly interest. Things that are done in the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21. Adultery. Well, I think we have to know that that's when you as a married person have sexual interest outside of the marriage. That God considers wrong, a fleshly desire. Not to be acted upon. Fornication. That's a that's a more extensive word because the word porneia takes in a lot of different things in the Greek. Sexual relations whoredom, harlotry, homosexuality, and incest. You know, um, I'm just amazed. I was watching a commercial just the other day, and I'm absolutely sure they were promoting homosexuality in the commercial. There was no doubt about it. And you know, our, our reaction to that should be, that's not right, that's not something I should do, that's not something... I want to see. And our nation has gone so far the wrong direction that we'll elect people to high positions in our government that are openly homosexual. In fact, they may be fashioning one right now who will be the next president of the United States. We have to know that that is wrong. And I'm... Uh, I love people. I I realize that we have to be able to separate the sin that's in a person's life from their soul. The soul of a person is worth more than all the universe, but we must hate sin. And if we don't, if we start to embrace it, if we say, well, that's just the way it is, that's the world we're living in. I'm reminded of what Alexander Pope said. Sin is a monster of such awful means. Just to be hated is but to be seen. But seen too often, familiar with face, we first endure, then pity, then embrace. If you begin to embrace the things of the world and say, well, it's just the way it is. That's the world that we're living in. It's really not that bad, so what if it's on the commercials? So what if it's promoted in just about everything that you see on TV? James Dobson says this What parents allow in moderation, children carry to excess. We ought to think of our kids. We ought to have a strong stand for what we know to be the will of God. Instead of promoting everyone's rights to do whatever they want, if you teach rights to a person, you will create a rebellion. But if you teach responsibility to people, you will create a revival. We need to be responsible people before the Lord. And when we see what is wrong, we need to be bold enough to say, that's a lifestyle that doesn't represent the Lord. And stand firm in what we know to be the truth. Uncleanness. Moral impurity, which also includes pornography. Now, do you have a smartphone? Has anything ever popped up on your smartphone? You just wonder where that came from? I was just turned mine on the other day, and this young thing with hardly any clothes on, she was from Anglewood, Florida, said she wanted to meet me. Well, what was I going to do about that? Where did that come from? It's just unbelievable. And these kind of things are part of our life. We need to have a built-in immunity. Turn against those things. Pornography is something that grips many of the children of God. They say, well, it's not wrong to look, is it? It's just wrong to do. But what you look at and program your mind to see can become part of your actions all too readily. And we need to reject those things. Uncleanness, moral impurity, which includes pornography. Lasciviousness. Making excuses for sin, lust, and sensuality. Idolatry is anything you put before the Lord. Now, let, me, let me clarify that. You know, we have things that we use. We have a car that we drive. We have, um, we have some toys of time that we use periodically. But if any of those things take the place of God, here's how you know if they're taking the place of God. You spend more time with those things than you do with the Lord. You spend more time with those things than you do reading the Word of God or praying or turning your thoughts towards God on a daily basis. You see, God knows that church once a week will not be enough to sustain you. How would you do by eating food once a week? And all the other six days, you got Nothing. Boy, by the uh, seventh day, you'd be hungry. But we all take time to get the nourishment that we need. And we all need to take time to receive the nourishment of God's Word. Hungering and thirsting, as the Bible says, for righteousness. Witchcraft. Now, we're not really really too much into that, are we? Or do you look as soon as you get the paper to see what your horoscope is? This is not a good thing. Witchcraft is defined in the Scripture as rebellion. Anything that we're rebelling against concerning the Lord is likened to that. Hatred. Enemies. Making and maintaining enemies. Variance. Strife. Contention. Debate. Quarreling. Those kind of things should not be within the church Emulations, jealousy over what someone else has that you don't. Wrath. Outburst of anger. Now, just because we're a Christian doesn't mean we can't fall to any one of these things at any time. We're in a human body. We have a fallen nature. And we can respond in the wrong way. But when you see yourself getting out of control, then you know... You need some help from the Lord in that area. When I was working with tools and things didn't go just right, especially if you hurt yourself, what I would do is toss the tool clear across the room. Well, do you know when you do that, it's hard to find them after that? But you're going to need it again. So you've got to stop what you're doing, go look for the tool that you threw, and hope you didn't break it or break something in the process. God wants us to be people that control our emotions, outbursts of anger. Then there's strife, contention, always ready for a fight, disputes, and then seditions, divisions, causing church splits. All those things are not to be named among the children of God. There are heresies, false doctrines. How do you know a false doctrine? You know a false doctrine by studying the Word of God. The Bible says, Be a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. He's not talking to pastors only. He's talking to every Christian. Every one of us need to be students of the Word of God. And when you handle the Word of God and something comes along that doesn't line up right away, you know something's wrong here. Envyings, ill will, again jealousy, murders, shedding innocent blood. But you can also do this through character assassination. Be careful what you say about others. Drunkenness, being intoxicated with alcohol, or now drugs of all kinds, can put you in that state. Revelings, wild parties and orgies. I hope we don't get involved in those things. And finally, just in case he forgot anything, he says this. And such the like. Other things that are similar. Things that might come along even after this list has been thought of and looked at for generations. Things can still come along that are like this. All such things similar to the above. Now, just to give us the final warning in Galatians, verse 21. I warn you as I have before, those who do these things will not possess the kingdom of God. So God's pretty serious here. He's serious about these works of the flesh and how they're not to be part of our life. And I realize... We are all different stages of our growth in the Lord. And there are things that God is working on through His Spirit in each of these areas. The idea here is that when God begins to convict you, you say, yes, Lord, and turn your thoughts to God. Then there's lust of the eyes. This refers to evil desires that have their origin in. In the eyes or the sight, adultery covetousness. Second Peter 2.14 says, Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. Jesus said the same thing. He said, You have heard of them of old, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we have to cast down the imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Maybe you remember that little sunday school song oh be careful little eyes what you see be careful little eyes what you see because the father's up above and he's looking down on me oh be careful little eyes what you see and finally the last area satan used to attack the children of god is the pride of life boastfulness taking um, the credit for something that God, of course, has enabled you to do or experience through the life He has given you. James 4.16 says, But now you rejoice in boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. Pride goes before the fall. Proverbs 16.18 Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. Matthew twenty three twelve says, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. I like what Pastor Gary says all the time. God gets the credit. He's the one that enables us. Give Him the glory. Finally, James 4.10, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Well, the reason we're warned about these things is that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life are the three areas that will always be addressed by Satan when we're tested. Eve was tested this way. Remember in Genesis 3.16, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh. Everything that's good for food is not good for you. When I was in the hospital and the doctor came along, he said, How much do you weigh, Pastor Steve? And I said, Well, when I came in, I was about or 217. And he said, Well, that's way too much for you. And um, he said, you need to get down in the 190s. Maybe even a little lower than that. And um, I said, well, I've tried everything. I've tried Nutrisystem. I'm okay while I eat this stuff. When I quit, I get it all back. Golo, Goli, Noom, Mind Over Matter stuff. None of these things seemed to work. And uh, I even tried this one thing. You get a a smaller plate, and you can eat everything that you can get on that plate, but the idea is the plate's smaller, and you can't get it. Now, you can build it up like a pyramid, but you shouldn't do that. (laughs) Then you stop eating sweets. I mean, moderately, you can have a little but not very much. It's even a smaller plate for those. And then you just, for two weeks, you don't eat anything after 6 o'clock. So for two weeks, I did this faithfully. At the end of 14 days, two weeks, I had lost 14 days. That's all. (laughs) How many of you know what I mean out there? (laughs) You do everything right and it just seems seems like uh, it doesn't work. Well, the doctor just said you need to do it. And what was amazing after I was in the hospital, they're putting all this stuff into your veins intravenously. Who who knows what all that stuff is? But for two weeks, almost three weeks after I got out of the hospital, I couldn't eat. I didn't even like the looking of food. I I just ate like a bird would eat. I, I was so sick. I just couldn't eat anything. And now I weigh 195. (laughs) Who would have thought? God is so good to us. that we want to be those people who will guard what we see so that we don't get involved in just fulfilling the flesh. But look, it was pleasant to the eyes. It was a tree to be desired to make one like God, make one wise, pride of life. And she ate of the tree and gave it to her husband, and he ate all also. And look where we are today. Now, the same thing happened to Jesus. He's called the second Adam. And after he was baptized, Matthew 4 says he was led into the wilderness. And there he fasted for 40 days. Now, I googled that and I said, can anyone live 40 days without food and probably, in Jesus' case, without water? And the answer is no. Normally, three weeks without food's about it. You can't go very long without hydration at all. You can live about three minutes without air. Jesus was at a very weakened state. Satan came to Him in that very weakened state, and He probably came to Him within that 40-day period of time often. And let me say this, as far as Jesus is concerned, this wasn't the end of the testing. He was tested all through His life, all during that three and a half year period, in every way just like us. So He's at the uh, 40-day period, and Satan comes along and says, knows he's hungry. How about commanding these stones to be turned into bread? Notice what Jesus does. He quotes the Scripture. How did He know what to say? Because He looked at it before. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. Satan takes Him up onto a pinnacle where he can see the very height that He is. And He says, Jump off here! Because it's written in the Word of God that the angels have charge over you and they'll keep you from even stubbing your toe. But Jesus quotes the Scripture again and says, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And He didn't. And finally, in His weakened state, He takes him to another high place and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, Bow down and worship Me and all this can be yours. And do you know what Jesus says? He quotes the Word of God and says this, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God only, and Him shall you serve. And Satan flees. Do you know what Jesus did every time He was tested? He quoted Scripture. What's wrong with that? Well, you have to know the Scripture, but we can know it, and we can quote it back to Satan, and we can trample him underfoot if we're just careful to know the Word of God. 1 John 2.17 tells us that if we love the world, we'll lose everything. Lose all the material things and lose our souls to eternal damnation. In contrast, all those that love God, all those that abide in the Lord, will live forever. There's a big difference between the two. Those that love God will live forever, and those who love the world, well, they're going to get their reward. And just so you know, when you look at love not the world and the things that are in the world, sometimes we think, well, it says love I'm not going to love those things. I'll just like them. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. When he tells us to love not the world, he's really saying hate those things. Hate them according to Proverbs 8:18." 8, Hate those things that are against the Lord. Psalms 97.10 Be those that hate the things of unrighteousness. We need to be those that hate evil. He says He'll preserve the souls of His saints. He will deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. Well, what if we just say, well, what if we don't? What if we rebel against these things? Even after being a child of God, you say, "Well, you know, I can pray right after I do this and God will forgive me." And it's true, God will forgive you when you ask. But that doesn't mean he's going to leave you alone. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3:19, "As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent." Did you get that chastening? It's what we're supposed to do to instruct our children so that they can walk in the truth. We don't let them get away with it. Back in the day when we were able to spank our children, back in the day when I was principal of a Christian school, I had the parents sign a document that says, if corporal punishment is necessary, will you agree to let us do that? Every parent in our Christian school signed it. And what we would do if we needed to use corporal punishment, and we did, is contact the parents and have them come and do it. And if they couldn't, again, seek their permission. Do you know that worked wonders for kids that needed to receive that corporal punishment. And it would work wonderful today in the homes of Christian families to be able to correct our children and share the way with them that we should go. After corporal punishment, we would bow our heads with the children and we would pray with them. I got the shock of my life when one day I was pastoring the church and this big guy came to. He came, I didn't even know who he was. His name was Justin Skates. I found out later he was in our Christian school. He could have been a lineman for the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's how big he was. And when he got up and asked for a time to give a testimony and he told me his name, I started to quiver slightly because. I had paddled him several times. And I thought. But when he gave his testimony, he said, I'd like to thank Pastor Cooper for not letting me get away with the things that I did in the Christian school. He's the reason I'm here today. Kids will appreciate the fact that you correct them in the future. They may not like it when it's happening, but it will be something that they remember in the future when they turn their hearts back to God, as the Scriptures say they will. Well, Hebrews 12, 6, 11 says, "...for whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. He scourges every son whom He receives. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you with sons." For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, which were all partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh who corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For verily a few days chastening us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present might seem joyous, but grievous nevertheless afterwards it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. We can be sure that Satan is at work in the lives of our children and in our lives too when we think we get away with something. Now I'm reminded that next week, just like the last offering goes towards the new building in the last Sunday of the month, the first Sunday of the month is, is communion. And we'll leave the sanctuary and pick up the elements on our way out. But with every communion, you know there is a warning that we're to examine ourselves. When you examine yourself, you're asking God's Holy Spirit to show you anything in your life that might be wrong, that's unconfessed sin. Anything that isn't right between you and the Lord, you're you're examining things because... You don't want to take a communion unworthily. Because you're identifying with Christ. And He died for our sins. We need to die to our flesh. And so you're looking at all those things. And you're making sure before you go out there and take communion. That you're right with the Lord. And just in case you don't. Just in, th- in case you say, well that's not so important. I'm going to go out there and take it without ever thinking about examination. The Apostle Paul says this. Because some of you haven't done that, you're weak. Because some of you haven't done that, you're sick. And because some of you haven't done that, many of you are dead. That's a symbolizing of chastisement, how God will not leave us alone. And finally this, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. There was a fellow in the church that uh, was a professed Christian and he had taken his father's wife, this wouldn't be his mother, but someone who married his father after his mother, and he was sleeping with her. They were coming to church, and the church was kind of joking about it, because look at that. They're in church, and look what they're doing. And they just let them alone. And the apostle Paul found out about this. He said, I'm not there, but I'm judging him as though I were present. And he says this, to such a one "Deliver." I will deliver him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. God is so serious about this, about works of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, that if we don't take it seriously, we could prematurely, our lives could prematurely be ended upon the earth. And so, I'm just here to tell you that every time I get an ache or a pain, I say, what, Lord? (laughs) What do you have to say to me? Every time I don't feel as good as I should, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? It's a good thing to look up when things start to go wrong down here. Make sure that you're alert to the Spirit of God Who may be trying to say something to you that you need to hear and respond to in a positive way? Let's all stand. The Lord is good. All the things that I talked about this morning are for me as well as for you. I am not a perfect man. And God chastises me because He loves me. He loves us all. So this morning, Heavenly Father, we submit to You. We want You to control our lives. We want to be involved with You and knowing You as our Lord and Savior. We believe this morning, Lord, that we must depart in every way from the works of the flesh from the lust of the eyes and from the pride of life. We will not be immune from these tests as long as we're alive on earth. But we can, Lord, be faithful. And when we're wrong, we can admit it. And when we do that which is not righteous, we can confess. And You, Lord, will heal us. You will save us. You will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now there may be that person here this morning who doesn't know You, Lord. They've never come to the place where they've confessed their sin to You. They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. If there's such a one this morning, Lord, we would pray that they would ask a prayer to You. Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Mm. Wash me in the blood of Jesus Christ. Save my soul. I thank You, Heavenly Father, for answering the prayer of any such person this morning. And so, Lord, give us that divine unction to do Your will, to be Your children all week long, to worship You every day as You deserve to be worshiped, We give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the credit for what you are doing in this church, in our lives, in this community. And we praise you and ask all this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for coming today. God bless you.